there was violence, aggression, horrific, horrific. We're around the corner from a 60-minute story a month ago about conversion assault. So it was a different experience, not to take away from anyone else's, but mm. when you don't have a support system, we know that your mental health is higher risk when you don't have the resources and, and services. And nothing changed. It, it just amplified it all. It just, we couldn't go to IGA and hold my wife's hand with confidence. And everyone thought it would be fixed that when that vote came about, and that's just not the case. So mm. I think it was sad. Joyful when the vote came through, but there was this horrible sadness. <laughs> My name is Helen Thomas, and I'm a queer ally living on Nipaluna country. I'm the creator and founder of the Wayfinder Story Studio. I partnered with Midsummer, and together we created this podcast, Pride Finder, The Rainbow Road Trip. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the lands on which this episode was recorded, the break-along lands of the Gunai Kurnai Nation, and pay my respect to elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the various lands on which you live, work and play today and acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. We recognise the important role that art has played on these lands for thousands of years and feel privileged to work alongside artists, continuing the creative practice of one of the oldest surviving cultures in the world. Always was, always will be. The episode you're about to hear is with Caitlin Grigsby, a pansexual woman who is the president and founder of the Gippsland Pride Initiative. Caitlin tells the story of how the LGBTQIA community in Gippsland suffered a lot leading up to the marriage equality vote, and how it was out of this trauma, fatigue and frustration that the Gippsland Pride Initiative was born. With a mantra of not fighting hate with hate, Caitlin shares how she has passionately paved the way to create meaningful rainbow community gatherings across the whole of Gippsland and ensures that everyone has a space to safely express their identity and connect with others. Please note, this episode contains some discussion about emotional abuse, homophobia and suicide. It also touches on conversion therapy. Please take care of yourself. And if this episode brings up challenging feelings, Seek support from a loved one or one of the helplines listed at the bottom of the show notes. All of this, the Gippsland Pride Initiative, what it is now, started on my sister-in-law Kerry's back deck um, in a conversation post the marriage equality debacle. And we sat on her back deck and we share a gate in the fence and her sister is my wife. Um, And we were sitting on the back deck talking about how lonely it is. Um, and how fatigued everybody was after that fight and how it didn't just miraculously fix everything. Um, And what was really unique that prompted all of this was our region was one of the four regions in which an MP voted no. So right in our backyard in the Bobble Shire. And um, we'd, we'd been part of that experience, you know, watching that MP say, if my community support marriage equality, I'll abstain because my religious views differ and then get on, get to that day and he just actively and strongly voted no, broke something. It just broke something. 
because we thought, you know, you said you'd, you'd hear the voices of community and at least abstain. So uh, we're sitting on the back deck debriefing after that and saying there's nothing, there's nowhere for us to go now. We might have marriage equality, but there's no pub around the corner. There's no queer activities. There's no lesbian night, nothing. Mm. So it's like, here, have equality for marriage with criteria, but don't see each other, don't know each other. You're invisible the second you're outside the city. Um, so I was president of the Roller Derby Club and it kind of, I went to training and I went with my wife where I met, I met her at Roller Derby. Beautiful. Um, oh, I'm so, she was terrifying. Um, was she? Terrifying. I was this fat, unfit thing that loved it, but not for the same reasons. And my wife was the athlete, is the athlete. And um, But we went to training and it kind of, we had a different lens that day and we realised when there's like 2% of people in our community playing sport, about 30% of our members were queer. And very innocently, we were so pissed off about the no vote that I went to the committee as a president, as a queer woman, and said, stuff this. Like, you know, that MP in particular, he's fluent in hate speech. Fluent. Brags about it. Let's run. What's the thing that we could do that would piss him off the most? (laughs) We ran the biggest, gayest, glitteriest thing we could right in his backyard. Oh, my God. And we had a 1,000 people turn up that day. Oh, and that's where all of this came about. It's, wow. So it's from we've got a position now from that very first day that we just won't battle hate with hate. Mm. And what's been built is this incredible thing. Right. Incredible thing. Yeah, wow. Yeah, sorry, long story. Oh, <laughs> that's a wonderful Tell background. <laughs> yeah. So the debacle, mm. when you just say it as a debacle, for those outside of Gippsland mm. and who don't know that story, what essentially happened with, oh, God. I mean, and how did it affect people? I can speak to my story and what I've observed and heard and felt, um, and I hope I do it justice. But Gippsland's not like other regions, and I'm not trying to make it more or less. But if you, to compare, one of our six LGAs, one of our six shires would be equivalent to like a Bendigo or a Ballarat. So we have six shires under that Gippsland we're half the state of Victoria. But because the second you leave Pakenham, that, that kind of one hour point from Melbourne or 45 minutes, the next, you know, place you can get pep or prep is New South Wales. It's like everything disappears the second you pass that point on the highway. The guarantee of being able to find some kind of doctor with some nouse around gender health or queer health or rights or counselling is an entirely different experience the moment you cross that piece of the highway. So when all of that was happening, we've known, Gippslanders know where we are. We're not silly. We know the blessing of how beautiful our region is and what it has to offer us, but it comes at a cost. And that's isolation. It's a lack of resources, complete absence of resources. And there's no connection. There's no opportunities to meet one another, go on a date at a queer venue. I'm not exaggerating when I say none of that exists here. So when you take something that demands of us to defend our love and life, that thing that we can tolerate, that the, the sniggers in the street, the don't hold your hand walking in that town, the... It felt like we just had to fight every day and just, it was frightening. I, I, that's how it felt. Mm. And for someone who's been really privileged and not had huge, horrible experiences, it just made me furious. 
And at the time I was working in family violence and counselling and the spike of mental health crises and trauma, relationship breakdown, domestic violence, because we were drowning in the trauma and there was nowhere to go and talk about it, that was just in my backyard. And then I think the further out you go, you add bushfire to that. You add isolation of natural events and disasters. You add vocal ministers, elected officials that just hate you. You know, we're not far from where Pollyanna did incredible advocacy. But there was violence, aggression, horrific, horrific. We're around the corner from a 60-minute story a month ago about conversion assault. So it was a different experience, not to take away from anyone else's, but when you don't have a support system, we know that your mental health is higher risk. When you don't have the resources and, and services... And nothing changed. It, it just amplified it all. It just, we couldn't go to IGA and hold my wife's hand with confidence. And everyone thought it would be fixed that when that vote came mm. about, and that's just not the case. So mm. I think it was sad. Joyful when the vote came through, but there was this horrible sadness. Um, and fatigue, the thing that really has gotten me is the fatigue that our advocates and elders are feeling. You know, they, they battled, have always battled, but that seemed to just be the straw that broke the camel's back. Mm -hmm. And they went further into isolation. Mm -hmm. um, so to me, the whole thing was just an unnecessary trauma. It was cruel. Mm. So brought up, it kind of brought absolutely. to the surface some ugliness. Abs that was Absolutely. You could ignore it because it wasn't mm. every day and it wasn't, it was the thing you didn't talk about. And then we put it on public blast we gave everyone the right to have an opinion on me marrying my wife. Like that should be even be a conversation we have. And it made all the ugliness you knew that might be there, the things you were cautious of, it was in your everyday, in your face, and you're defending yourself all the time. That's exhausting. So I am very privileged, but I watched people around me break. And I just think we don't talk about it enough. Yeah, sorry, you started me now. I won't stop talking. That's okay. Keep talking. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, yeah, so have you noticed what if, what are the differences? Well, yeah, what, what difference has this initiative made to individuals? Are you mm. already seeing a positive yeah. change? When we had the gala and the Pride Cup in 2019, the roller derby, we, we realised it was bigger than us straight away. And it's not up to a little roller derby club to be the LGBTQIA vehicle in, in this region of this size. And there were many that had come before us, but nothing was happening. We weren't getting anywhere. So we incorporated in the October and elected officials from each of the six shires with these big hopes. We will fundraise, we'll run a, an annual gala, we'll, we'll get out to the communities, we'll do something. We didn't know what. And just as we were beginning, COVID hit. So we'd made an impact and had some momentum and engagement. We had really good engagement early and then we could do nothing with it. So the next two, I will say two and a half years, um, and I'll put a trigger warning and just speak openly, if that's okay, about mental health. Our, our tiny little community group was getting messages of, I have access to this and I have a plan and I can't see a counsellor for four months. And I'm alone on a remote area or I'm a farmer or my family can't know. So we 
we were kind of still traumatised after the vote and all of that. We had this one little win, this amazing gala and the Pride mm. Cup, and then it was just shooting everyone back out and it was like, just just make do, just survive. So for two and a half years, we cried a lot and we lost beautiful humans and we couldn't support each other. And then when people did have the bravery to reach out and write to a Facebook page of people that aren't mental health professionals, we had nowhere to send them. Mm. We had no one to call. So for two years, that has been our battle. And what's happening now is the gala's the lovely piece everyone knows that brings us together. It's like a formal do-over. But outside of that, our most important work is trying to demand that our hospitals do better, Mm -hmm. that our health services do better, do something, not better, something, Mm -hmm. anything. Um, And it's not very popular and we kind of love that. So now it's about data and advocacy. But part of that is we need to connect with one another again. So when Midsummer offered us support really for the first time in this way, we took the, the grant funding we received and we went, we don't want one event. We can't do that in a region like this. Mm-hmm. So we built 16. Wow. And Throughout? Right through. So I, in the past 48 yeah. hours, I was just saying I, I went from Bansdale to Phillip Island. And to give you an idea, I, I can't even explain how oh, that was a horrible drive. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> but every event, we made a goal that 15 to 20 people came along. There was no cost barrier. Everything was physically and financially accessible as much as possible. We thought 15 or 20 people would turn up. We have had at least double of that at every event and more than 70% of people have never engaged in an LGBT activity before. And and we've gone to every single region. Mm. And we're here today in Sale because two weeks, no, a month ago, it was on blast. Uh, you know, a, a local church and the story of assault on our local queer community. And that literally outed members of our community right before Christmas. So that was really traumatised. So we wanted to do something beautiful. Mm. And if you look around us, there are strangers around a, a fire mm-hmm. and making pizzas and painting pots with their kids. This is... Yeah. I get emotional because it's been really lonely mm. and people have nowhere to go. And then you do something like this and <clears throat> people just come... Mm. Sorry. Mm. That's okay. It's, um, we just want to keep doing it and we don't know how. Mm. Wow. Sorry. No, don't be sorry. Are you okay? I think Uh, I'm very rarely in the quiet. (laughs) If I keep going, I don't think about it too much. Yes. Yeah. Um, And when you stop and reflect. Yeah. Sorry. Apologies. Um, Yeah. Yeah, you just yeah. look out there and you see the little kids and mm. they're seeing queer adults. The thing that blew our mind in 2019, I'll never forget it. We had young trans folk, you know, you're talking young, mm-hmm. who can't get an appointment mm-hmm. to get help and, aff- and affirming services. And they met their first trans adult. I-, I remember Jordan Raskopoulos came down to support us with that event. It blew our mind. Wow. And I remember this kid who was about 12 years old dropped to their knees and just in awe that Jordan was there and and playing roller derby and physically playing a sport with other queer folk. And, and this young person was so overwhelmed that they're like, I'm going to be all right. Mm-hmm. So every time we do something, I keep thinking about that. Yeah. And the, 
Wow, it makes a huge difference. When, when oh, God, I'm crazy. <sighs> no, you're not crazy. Earlier today there was a, an, a person who came in and they were probably in their 70s or mm-hmm. something and they said, this is the first out yep. event I've been to. Yeah, there's two people I know of that have never, and they're in their 70s and 80s who are here today, that are like, this just was never an option. I never thought I'd be doing it here, you know. Mm-hmm. I, 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 oh, there's other queer old folk. Oh, my God. Like, it sounds yeah. like nothing to put a pizza on, but here it's the little, mm-hmm. the connection. This stuff is what saves lives. We connect to one another because in the absence of support, mm-hmm. we'll support each other. And that's not good enough, but, geez, it's a bloody good start. Mm. So it makes it all worthwhile mm. when you're tired and when you're scared you're not doing enough or you're frustrated. You look out there and it just feels really incredible. Mm. Have you been an activist? Yeah, how long have you been advocating and and activating in this space? Uh, Not long enough. I will have been one of the frightened queers. My my world growing up was not one in this where this was a possibility. It would have been dangerous to be anyone like I am right now. Um, and then I was in, you know, heterosexual relationships and always knew I was pan or bi. Um, and then I discovered roller derby and I was really fortunate to be the tournament director here in Victoria for a few years and it just taught me the language of and possibilities of gender identity and and the spectrum of love. So I thank Roller Derby for that all the time. And then I met my wife through trauma and through sport and and I knew on our third date I was going to marry her and I'd never wanted marriage previously. I knew third date, I was like, that's it, I'm done, there she is. Wow. So um, really I would say around 2017, timely, I was really starting to own that whatever relationship I was in, it was valid that I was pan, whether I was with a heterosexual partner or not. I didn't understand that. I thought that made me less queer. Um, And then I met my wife and fell in love with my wife and we got married before the vote. So we've been together for nine years and we got married in Gippsland before the vote and then went overseas. But before that, I was really fortunate to run a scholarship fund here in Gippsland for women. So I've always been pretty passionate about gender equity. But I need, I knew I had a platform of privilege, that I was professionally probably in spaces that could open doors and, and my voice could be heard like people weren't being heard. So I pivoted a little and I got um, a really wonderful opportunity to do a scholarship up here, a leadership scholarship with a very queer lens. And I was definitely one of the few queers in the room with the beautiful Pollyanna and a, a couple of other young folk. But it was, it demanded different of us. So really it was the vote. It made me angry enough mm. to say something. But I'm surrounded by people that feel that same way. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that would have had the same experience. Yeah, absolutely. Not long enough. Yeah. The older folk around us have, I am in awe every day because they've been doing this for decades and decades unselfishly. They don't complain. And all I feel like I say all the time is I'm tired. I have no idea how the generations before us have done this and and are still here and turning up for a pizza today. I don't understand. I'm in awe of them. Mm. I guess 
are you sort of, do you have a sense of, look, it's 2023, for goodness sake, mm-hmm. and we're still we're still here doing this? Because uh, when I came, because we've just been to Geelong, Ballarat, Bendigo mm-hmm. and Kyneton, and yeah. I stayed in Castlemaine, and up and around in those parts, I, I think I did mention I'm, I'm coming to Morwell and yeah. Sale, and they, some people did say to me, you will, you will see a very different picture. Yeah. Our folks, though, in other regional areas, none of none of the change that they have seen has come by luck. It has come through sheer bloody hard work. Um, I get frustrated at this moment in time that it feels like a lot of our major entities and certainly I think our hospitals have a lot to answer for. And I sit on a hospital board now because I hope to make a change. They're not doing enough. And in those areas, there's at least been a mandate, a funding parameter to tie to, to the change. So I watch on and I see progress and I congratulate my colleagues that way because they've busted their tit to get it. But like I said, Gippsland's such a different beast. And a politician said to me a month ago, you'll never have the progress here that you'll see in the Bendigos, the Ballarats and the Castlemains because you're asking people to support something six times that size. That's geographically, logistically, demographically entirely different. Phillip Island is entirely different to the Mm. challenges of Bansdale Mm -hmm. or Lakes Entrance and Eden. So I'm appreciating that we might need to really think about the strategy of change um, and going shire by shire if we need to, but it's not good enough. It's not quick enough. Um, and I just follow the lead of people that have done it before and I watch Bendigo and Ballarat and I see queer health services, I see hubs, I see safe youth spaces and it actually emboldens us. The mm. whole Gippsland Pride Committee know what the benchmark is and in every conversation, it's far bigger than just myself, there are 10 passionate informed, incredible volunteers that in every conversation, despite how much we're not liked very much at the moment, are demanding something more and we hope our work makes an impact. But it's going to take a long time, I think. There's a lot of rainbow washing here. Um, When you say rainbow washing, what do you mean? I've got a sticker on my door and I've got a tick that means something. That doesn't mean anything to me. It doesn't mean anything to me. I walked into a medical practice... November 1st, 2019, right after incorporating. And I was really scared and I talk about it openly. I was worried about some kind of cervical condition. I went to my doctor who I'd visited many times, rainbow sticker on the front door. They know exactly who I am, what I do. And I realised I never said the words my wife. I said my partner, Mm -hmm. you know, all those innocuous things Mm -hmm. we do. And I said something like, oh, my wife's due for hers as well, like pap smear or something. And the doctor physically reeled back and went, oh, you know queer folk get more STIs or, you know, gays get more STIs and I'm blessed with words and facts and privilege. And instead of getting angry, which I'd have every right to, I sat myself up and said, what you just did is so dangerous. It's incorrect. It's absolutely inappropriate. And you have no right to do that. And I made a formal complaint. And I'm grateful that that meant something. But if they're doing that to a cisgendered female with privilege, what about the young trans kid? Hearing that misinformation and that reeling back, that disgust. And it wasn't aggressive, but it was, it just really pissed me off. And it's constant. That same year we had 
too many instances where there was PEP or PrEP refusal, where there was post-exposure and they've gone to a hospital locally that's meant to be one of those safe places and the concierge or the team have not known what the bloody hell they're talking about or it's not available. And and too many people have been told you don't need... You don't need um, a psychologist appointment for gender-affirming health care. You need the church. So I feel like we're 10 steps behind and we've got a lot of work to do, but then I watch something like today and I think there's, there is most definitely hope and progress in these beautiful pockets that are expanding every day. But community are driving it. Retirees, small business owners, volunteers and everything in between are driving this. It's not, it's not coming from leadership. And it's not coming from the entities it should, and that's disgraceful. Hmm. Yeah, you shouldn't have given me a soapbox today. <laughs> oh, goodness, I'm so sorry. Uh, um, <sighs> what can what can allies do to support? Allies are everything. Yeah. Allies are everything. I told you about the federal MP that voted no. And I told you about the scholarship I was really privileged to get. And that put me in the room with 40 other Gippslanders. And we went to uh, Canberra and we met politicians and so on and so forth. And the most extraordinary action of ally- allyship I've ever seen was where a homophobic, transphobic MP was speaking with us. I really struggled. Um, many others in the room struggled. And I was having a trauma response. And that uh, a colleague, a, a person, I would, I didn't expect it. A cisgendered, white, heterosexual man stood up seeing that we were traumatised in that room and made a choice. He didn't let it happen. He didn't stand by and do nothing. He stood up quietly and powerfully, said, stop what you were doing. It's a disgusting behaviour and people like you should not be representing our country. I, that moves me. And I'm not saying advocacy and allyship has to be that that firm and that eloquent. Sometimes it's turning a sausage at the fundraiser barbecue. Sometimes it's turning up and helping us put a marquee up mm-hmm. or, um, f- you know, one of our allies dropped some wood off here the other day. Sometimes it's getting in the weeds with us and, and, and some grit, but allies are the key because often allies are in the spaces and positions of power that we are not. And I believe you open the door. I think Rose said once, you know, sometimes leadership is not about being the one talking. Sometimes it's about being the one that opens the door and gets out of the way. And that really keeps sitting in my mind. Mm. Allies have power. Mm. Real power. I'd like to talk to you about your roller derby and ah. how you came to be involved with or oh, drawn goodness. to roller derby and, um, and, and the impact it's had on your life and who oh, you are. Oh, God. I just stopped crying. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, I, my matron of my best friend in the world, Sarah Lawless, um, she and I ran a, 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 a non-for-profit when we were 19 at Monash uh, to help Gippsland women who were being um, exited from university because of barriers that were not education, finances, childcare, things like that. And the local roller derby club up here reached out to us and said, we're running a, a bout, didn't know what that meant, a game, 
Um, and if you want to be there with some information, you know, we're a women's club. Would you like some information? We went and we baked cupcakes and we sold them for like a dollar. It was really grassroots. It was wonderful. Um, and the whole time, Sarah and I just couldn't take our eyes. It was a display of total powerful extraordinary physicality strategy we were just in absolute awe of of the folks on on track and and yes it was female identifying so we we loved that you know i'm a feminist true true blue um i left that with a different reaction to sarah because i don't like running um <laughs> and the concept of fitness and you know all of that was just no um, Sarah, though, <laughs> dragged my backside to one less and she kept going. I gave up after about five minutes, cried a lot, and I think puked in a bin. Um, but I'd kept getting drawn back. And so it took me probably six months to 12 months longer than Sarah. But we fell in love with it because you put people, specifically women, too. And then I realised now looking back, folks on the edge, folks on the edges of gender and and sexuality and and where they don't have a home in mainstream things roller derby is such a great space for those folks for us and it's shifted away i would say from being this female predominant sport it's still very much that but it's i think rightfully in most cases a queer space and sport uniquely very uniquely um so very quickly i worked out that i roller derby um is different to other sports because it didn't matter that I was bigger or slower. It actually appreciated that I was stronger. And my wife, who's tiny and skinny and can flip and skate like it's nobody's businesses, there's a a place in that sport for all of us. Um, There's someone at the door. Sorry. Um, Roller Debbie's unique because it doesn't matter what body shape you are, there's a function for you. Everyone has value. So not everyone has to be fast. And, of course, being me, um, when there was an opportunity to kind of get involved in the admin and the management, I just kind of got sucked in. And then it just gotten worse and worse and worse. Um, and then I was on the statewide stampede and then all the tournament organising. And it, I blinked and it was 10 years. Um, but at the same time, the Roller Derby Club, we didn't have a venue. We didn't have any money. So we learnt the power of community activation many, many years ago with our feminist work. So we worked with the local ag, t- you know, p- people and moved possum poo out and got r- fundraised like, you know, $200,000 and did up this shed. Wow. And bought our own skate. It took years and years mm. and years. And then June 2020, we lost all of it <gasps> to the floods. Oh, everything, the building, the skates, everything we'd built over nearly oh. a decade. We just launched it in the February. Um, state of the art. It was just amazing. Oh, my goodness. And the whole thing was gone. It's like the flood came, picked it up and just threw it against the wall. And it was all contaminated water, so mm-hmm. it couldn't be recovered. And after that, I'll admit, COVID and being a small business owner and the flood and, and seeing that, I think my mental health couldn't ask more of me so I made the decision to retire but roller derby I I can't express I'm not exaggerating when I say it's saved my life multiple times and to have found Malia there is the biggest gift but I have found my tribe and my queerness and my language and my safety there it was far more than my roller skates and Mm -hmm. 
I encourage anyone that's not sport here, but trying to find that regular space mm-hmm. of other folks like us, just talk to your local club and, and it's likely that they're one of the clubs like ours that will provide you with a home. It's got nothing to do with the skates, in my opinion. Yeah, mm. my wife's terrifyingly talented. Really? Oh, ridiculous. So she, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's um, just extraordinary, really mm. extraordinary. But um, sadly, through injury, had to retire also. So we mm-hmm. made that choice together. Okay. And, and it coincided with the start of Pride. So that was the right decision to make at that time. I couldn't mm. do both. Yeah. But Roller Derby up here is a real vehicle for a safe space. It's really incredible. Mm. Really incredible. So you grew up in the Gippsland area? No. no. I grew up in a very conservative uh, family environment and I was in Melbourne. I was in Essendon uh, until I was 17 and then I moved up to Maui, Trafalgar area. Um, so, I've, yeah, as of last fortnight, I've been here 20 years, so not quite a local. Oh. Yeah, not quite a local yet. So, yeah, I mean, your experience growing, mm. growing up in conservative family in Melbourne... Mm. How did that impact you as as, as mm, entirely coming? Yeah, um, I have the most extraordinary godparents that shaped me as a human being. Um, so I'm grateful that I had safety and leadership and mentoring and love the way I should have, which has given me a very different life and expectations. So I knew at 17 that I was strong enough to leave um, my family environment. I knew that I could I could go and I would be okay. Um, so I moved up and found Dad in Gippsland, um, who I didn't have a relationship with and started fresh. Mm. Um, so I was really, many people grow up in difficult family childhood environments. Um, I was very, very blessed that despite mine feeling that way, that I had enough role modelling in my life that I knew I had other options. And um, I wanted an education, which was something that pursuing that wouldn't have been the most exciting prospect for my family. Um, So leaving gave me opportunities. Mm -hmm. So I went on to university and I had wonderful, I I met Sarah there. I did the blue stockings bit and then I met roller derby. Mm -hmm. It was all absolutely a product of that one moment of, of Mm. supported courage. Um, Mm. Did it, my, my, my grow up, my growing up, my, my youth maybe is the benchmark as to why I am frustrated uh, because I could go down the street and the shops were open after five o'clock when I lived in Essendon up here. Nope, nothing. Nothing's open. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if it is, uh, you're lucky. I had access to everything I needed, shops, you know, uh, a good school system, whatever. We're fortunate up here, you know, that there are good schools and things like that. But if I wanted to go somewhere, you get on the tram. And I'd be at the market or I'd be on Flinders Street in like 15 minutes. It takes me two hours to get to some of my clients, you know. Um, so I have this benchmark to fall back on about how c- different it is for our metro folk. Um, mm. And I think that that make, makes me demand something mm-hmm. different in my head because I don't think it's appreciated that proximity is power. 
and proximity is something we do not have. That's the thing. It's not that there aren't services. Maybe they, they are and maybe they're in Melbourne. But proximity makes that a completely inaccessible option for regional folk. Completely. Mm. So maybe that's mm. something I got from my mm. youth. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And what does pride mean to you? Power. Um, I think pride is about recognising your power um, in a really beautiful way. Not authority. I don't want to be mistaken. It's not about authority or arrogance or unkindness. I think pride is this unapologetic authenticity. I am totally comfortable, confident and empowered in who I am. And I'm very proud of that. Mm. Beautiful. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, gosh. I'm just sorry. I talked so much. No. And cried. God. (laughs) You can't tell anyone I cried. (laughs) We'll just keep it a secret. Everyone will laugh. Everyone that would be listening to this in the other regions, the half of them are my debriefs, so they're not surprised I cried. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for being here and coming up to Gippsland. It's... um, I cannot express what Midsummer support this year mm. has done for us. It's it's not about the grant. It's the fact you folks are here. I'm looking out at one of the Midsummer team right now with that same one of those same people that have never been to a queer event and they've both got big smiles on their face talking around the fire. Beautiful. And that's real yeah. that's real support. Yeah. So thank you. Mm, wonderful. Thanks for coming. <laughs> Thanks, Caitlin. No podcast is released every Tuesday and Friday and could not have been possible without the support of our local community partners, Midsummer and the Fair of Victoria portfolio of the Victorian State Government. Throughout the series, you will hear firsthand the successes, hopes, dreams, fears and struggles of diverse members of our community. Pride Finder, the Rainbow Road Trip was a travelling project commissioned during the 2023 Midsummer Festival as part of the State Government's initiative, Victoria's Pride. Helen Thomas, an award-winning creative audio producer, journalist and queer ally, developed a mobile story studio with the purpose of encouraging connection, cultivating empathy and preserving people's experiences. As much of Victoria's queer history relies on verbal recount, Midsummer, Helen and the Pride Finder connected with regionally living LGBTQIA plus Victorians to help capture their unique stories. These conversations are frank, honest and reflect the language, thoughts, history and opinions of the individual. Views may not be shared by Midsummer or the Victorian State Government. Please keep yourself safe and refer to the show notes for specific triggers related to each episode. If something in this podcast has made you feel uncomfortable or brought up challenging feelings, please seek support from a loved one or from one of the helplines listed at the bottom of the show notes.